Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Off in the SSA podcast, focusing on the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. I'm your host, Stu, and on today's show... The IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is a championship on the rise, and 2024 looks to be as good as ever. 2023 saw incredible racing and the start of a new era with the addition of LMDH cars. But for many new fans, it can be difficult to understand what's going on out on track. I'm going to take you through everything you need to know about IMSA. Now, in order to understand present-day IMSA, we need to know a little bit about the past. IMSA was born in 1969 by John Bishop and his wife Peggy. They also received help from founder of NASCAR, Bill France Sr., to create a North American sports car series that raced on road courses. Early races were mainly Formula V and Formula Ford, and it was not until 1971 that endurance GT racing would begin. During the 70s and into the 80s, IMSA began picking up steam, picking up big sponsors, such as Camel Cigarettes, to help establish itself as one of the premier sports car racing championships in North America. In fact, you could say the 80s into the early 90s was a golden age for sports car racing due to the large manufacturer representation and just the overall great racing. Notably, it also featured the GTP class. We'll come back to that in a minute. However, in the late 80s, founder John Bishop underwent heart surgery, which unfortunately led him to eventually sell the series. This would lead to a rocky 1990s for IMSA as it was sold three more times. Things, however, would turn the corner in 1998 when Don Panos purchased the series and renamed it to the American Le Mans series. The series would consist of mixed class racing with LMP and GT cars sharing the track at the same time. This era would also see an alignment with the ACO, who's the organizing body for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. It would also see the introduction of a race called Petit Le Mans that has been run annually since at Road Atlanta. Now, shortly after this announcement of the American Le Mans series saw the establishment of the rival Grand Am Road Racing Series. Like ALMS, Grand Am had prototypes and grand touring cars in their premier series, the Rolex Sports Car Series. But while ALMS's prototype formula was based on LMPs, or Le Mans prototypes, Grand Am had the DP, or Daytona prototype formula, that they would go on to develop and use. This formula would be more cost-effective than the LMP cars of the day, and consist of a tube-framed closed cockpit chassis, and the resulting cars one might call ugly, but this ultimately formed the base for the GTP cars that we see running today. Now both of these series had some big things going for them. ALMS had big endurance events such as the 12 Hours of Sebring and Petit Le Mans. Meanwhile, Grand Am had very close ties to NASCAR before NASCAR actually bought them out completely in 2006. But they had events like the Rolex 24 at Daytona, as well as the 6 Hours of the Glen. Now in 2012, it was announced that these two rival series would merge together into one unified championship. And a new era would begin in 2014 with what we now know as IMSA. Currently named the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, it has grown into the premier sports car racing series in North America, featuring some of the most prestigious endurance races in the world. During the merger, it wasn't just these massive endurance events that would come together onto one schedule. The multiple classes that we saw in these championships would also merge together. 
And actually, the class structure from 2014 is pretty similar to what we have today with a couple of prototype classes as well as a couple of GT classes. Those Daytona prototypes that I mentioned a moment ago would play a big role as well. After going through multiple large updates, the cars would be phased out completely and replaced with the new DPI or Daytona Prototype International cars for the 2017 season. The DPI cars were a huge success, and based on the success of these DPI cars, a second generation would be developed, initially known as DPI 2.0. However, shortly after that announcement, IMSA and the ACO, who's the organizing body for the 24 Hours of Le Mans, announced that this new formula, DPI 2.0, would be eligible to compete with the Le Mans hypercars at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And with that, it was also made official that the DPI 2.0 formula would now be known as LMDH. Today's video is sponsored by P1 Web Development. If you're looking for a custom website for your business or perhaps you're a race team or driver that's looking for a professional way to present yourself to fans and potential sponsors, then look no further than P1 Web Development. Their team is passionate about racing. I actually met the owner at Watkins Glen and they want to help drivers and teams attract new sponsors and fans with a unique and custom website. So when you're looking for someone to help transform or build you a website into something that fans and sponsors will actually want to visit, then look no further than P1 Web Development. A huge thank you to P1 Web Development for supporting the show. You can check out their entire portfolio of websites and see if they're a good fit for you by heading to p1webdevelopment.com slash the S's or clicking the first link in the description. Now a typical IMSA race weekend does not only consist of the race, it's actually made up of many sessions spread over three or four days. These race weekends will vary in how long they are depending on the round of the season it is and how many support series there are. Typically, most race weekends start on a Thursday. Various support series that are often racing with the WeatherTech Championship are among the first cars on the track, usually for practice sessions. And early in the weekend, at the end of the day, usually there are track walks that take place. This track walk is for drivers and teams to evaluate the course and see if there's anything different about it that they've noticed since the last time that they were at the track. You know, take a look at new paved areas, if there's potentially any new curbing, any bumps, etc. Friday is usually when the main event takes the track for the first time with multiple practice sessions taking place at a variety of times throughout the day. Also mixed in, there's some more practice, qualifying, and the first races for IMSA Support Series. Saturday is qualifying day for the WeatherTech Championship, and it's usually when the remaining Support Series races get wrapped up as well. This leaves Sunday as race day, and a typical IMSA race ranges from an hour and 40 minutes up to 24 hours in length. IMSA features four classes, GTP, LMP2, GTD Pro, and GTD. And one of the unique aspects about IMSA, as well as various other sports car racing series, are that these classes all race on the same track at the same time. All of these classes don't compete at every single race weekend. Some race weekends you'll see as few as two of these IMSA classes present, but I'll touch on that a little bit more when we get to the schedule. While all the classes do race together for the race, they are divided up for qualifying. 
First up, the GTD Pro and GTD classes take to the track together for a 15-minute session to determine their starting positions. In both classes, any driver can qualify the car. However, in GTD, if they use a bronze driver to qualify the car, then they can put on a new set of tires for the start of the race. Otherwise, tire changes are not permitted during this qualifying session, and teams have to start the race on the same tires that they qualified on. Next up is LMP2, and only a bronze-rated driver is eligible to qualify the car. I'll talk about what these driver ratings mean in just a moment. And last to qualify are the GTP cars, who also get a 20-minute qualifying session that allows any driver on their roster to qualify the car. Also noteworthy here is the GTP class cars are eligible to change tires during their qualifying session. However, if a team does opt to change tires, it comes out of their allocation of tires for the race. So while this does happen occasionally, it is much more frequent to see a team go out and scuff up a pair of tires during a qualifying session that they will later use in the race. When the race gets underway, all four classes are on track at the same time. However, drivers are not racing against cars in other classes, but they'll frequently find cars from those other classes in between them and their next competitor that they're actually racing against. So it's really important to remember that teams are only competing for position against cars that are also in their own class. So for example, GTP class cars are only competing for position against other GTP class cars. LMP2 cars, they're only competing for position against other LMP2 cars. So if a GTP class car passes an LMP2, which you'll see pretty frequently during the race, it really means nothing in the grand scheme of things. What you might hear sometimes mentioned on a broadcast is overall position and a position in class. The overall position is where the car is running when factoring all of the cars on track regardless of their class. And position in class is where the car is running only considering the other cars that are in their own class. You might also be asking, okay, how long can a driver be in the car for? Well, these races are quite long, so of course they're not completed by a single driver, but teams will use between two and four drivers depending on how long the race is. For the 24 hours of Daytona, a driver can run a maximum of 13 race hours in the car, and for every event on the calendar, a driver can only drive a maximum of four out of every six hours. There is also a minimum drive time that is enforced for each event. Of course, this varies based on the length of the race that's being competed in. But generally, each driver on the team has to be in the car for about 45 minutes to an hour, although for the five Michelin Endurance Cup Series races, this can be longer. Something you're going to hear a lot about in sports car racing in general is BOP. BOP, or Balance of Performance, is utilized in the GTP as well as the GTD and GTD Pro classes. This helps to even out any advantage that a specific manufacturer might have. It's done by adjusting limits on car parameters such as horsepower, weight, engine management, and aerodynamics. BOP is generally announced in the week leading up to the race and is also revisited after each round. Heavy penalties can be handed out to teams that are deemed to have sandbagged or intentionally gone slow in order to manipulate the BOP. As a result of this, IMSA changed slightly how their BOP process is done for this upcoming season. This year, they took a much more hands-on approach with it and took teams through prescribed testing plans to help craft the BOP in an attempt to have the car's peak performance window on par with one another. 
A couple other quick notes about the classes. All cars feature an illuminated number box called a leader light on the side of the car, which denotes the car's position in its respective class. All cars use Michelin tires, although there are slightly different compounds between the prototypes and the GT cars. Weather and rain in particular will not stop a race from going on, as all of these cars have rain tires and windshield wipers. However, if there is lightning in the area, then the race will be red flagged. Regardless of how long the race is, these cars will need to come in during it to make a pit stop for regular service. During a pit stop, four crew members are allowed over the wall to do routine service such as tire changes, refueling, car adjustments, and small repairs. Driver changes can also take place over the course of the race. And during a driver change, an additional crew member is allowed over the wall to assist the driver in fastening seat belts, connecting the radio, etc. And during these pit stops, fueling and tire changes take place at the same time. But there is a minimum refueling time for all cars. This essentially sets a minimum pit stop time and ensures that crews aren't rushed to complete just this basic service. As a result of that, it helps to keep costs down. Some other facts about pit stops include the amount of time the car has spent stopped in the pit stall is indicated by a pink timer on the leader light. Brake changes are also a regular occurrence, especially during the Rolex 24, and can be completed on pit road. There's no tire blankets in IMSA, the tires are just sitting in the paddock at their normal air temperature. And during the pit stop, built-in air jacks put the car up in the air for a tire change when an air hose is connected. Teams have a set number of tires that are allocated for them during the race. And after a pit stop, cars pass through an RFID reader, which helps Michelin track how many sets of tires each team has used, as well as other information, such as has the team double stinted these tires, etc. There are two types of yellow flags that can be deployed during a race. A local yellow will be waved for a small incident, such as a car that is spun around but is able to get back going again. And this local yellow flag is just removed once the hazard is cleared. But a full course yellow is deployed when there's a danger to other drivers that needs to be cleared before racing can resume. Usually a full course yellow is deployed for an accident if cars are unable to move or if there's debris that could cause a danger to drivers, track marshals, or fans. During a full course yellow, a pace car is deployed and pit stops are often performed now as the stop can be completed without falling behind other cars that they're racing against. Now IMSA handles their full course yellow procedures a little bit different than some other racing series. The procedure is all in the name of fairness and it helps prevent teams from unfairly losing a lap to their class leader as a result of the yellow flag. I will now attempt to simplify this full course yellow procedure for you. First, the safety car picks up the overall leader of the race and every car behind the overall leader must stay in single file order. Then the first pass around occurs. This allows any cars that have their class leader behind them in the line of cars to pull out pass the safety car and continue driving around the track and rejoin at the end of the line. This ensures that they're not on the verge of going a lap down when the race restarts. Then, after all cars have caught up, then pit stops can take place. The GTP and LMP2 classes are the first who get to pit. GT cars are not yet permitted to pit. On the following lap, the GTD Pro and GTD cars may make their pit stops. Now after pit stops are completed, there may be a handful of cars directly behind the safety car that chose not to pit. As was allowed earlier, since these drivers have their class leader behind them in the line, they are permitted to pass the safety car and continue driving around the track until they rejoin the end of the line. 
Again, this is to prevent them from being almost a lap down when the race restarts. Oftentimes, cars that have lost a lap or more as a result of an incident earlier in the race will take advantage of this to help get a lap back. Now at this point, the cars may still be mixed up with other class cars, and this is where a final class split takes place. At this time, GTP cars may pull out and pass the slower classes of cars to be the first lining up behind the safety car. Next, the LMP2s do the same. They may pull out and pass any GTD Pro or GTD class cars so that they're the next cars that line up behind the GTPs. The GTD classes do not do any class split, so this means that the order for the restart is GTPs, LMP2s, and lastly, there's a combined group of GTD Pro and GTD cars. When all of this is completed, the race director instructs the pace car to return to the pit lane, and racing resumes. Now, depending on the severity of an incident, this entire full course yellow procedure can take anywhere from 10 to up to 45 minutes. Usually, it's not quite 45 minutes in length, but if there's a lengthy cleanup or there was some damage to a barrier, that's when you can start to see some lengthy full course yellows take place. And if a full course yellow happens within 15 minutes, of a green flag being thrown, then that's what's called a short yellow. It's a shorter, condensed full course yellow period. Pits aren't open, there's a couple of other things that happen, but essentially it's a very condensed full course yellow period in an attempt to get back to racing quicker. It should also be noted you cannot have two short yellows back to back. Still find all of this confusing? I'll link a helpful document from IMSA in the show notes. At the end of the race, championship points are handed out based on where you finished in your class. The winner of a class gets 350 points, second place gets 320, third place gets 300, fourth place gets 280, fifth place gets 260, and every position after that decreases in increments of 10. Qualifying points are worth 10% of those championship points, so for pole position, you'll get 35 points, second place will get 32, third place will get 30, etc. Now there are three championships that drivers and teams are aiming for. The overall season championship encompasses points from every race on the calendar. The Sprint Cup only takes points that are earned in rounds that are 2 hours and 40 minutes or less. And then there's the Michelin Endurance Cup. The Michelin Endurance Cup uses a different point system, and they're handed out at various points of the five longest races of the season. For the Rolex 24 at Daytona, points are awarded at the 6, 12, and 18 hour marks, as well as race finish. For the Sebring 12 hours, points are awarded at the 4 and 8 hour marks, as well as the race finish. For the 6 hours of the Glen, points are awarded at the 3 hour mark and at race finish. Same goes for the Indy 6 hours, where points are awarded at the 3 hour mark and at race finish. And for Petit Le Mans, points are awarded at the 4 and 8 hour mark, as well as race finish. And at those points in the race, the race leader in each class receives 5 points, 2nd place gets 4 points, 3rd place receives 3 points, and all other competitors that are running get 2 points. All of these points are added up to determine the Michelin Endurance Cup champion. The WeatherTech Championship will feature 10 race weekends on their 2024 schedule, plus their annual Roar Before the 24 test. Now, for many of these race weekends, IMSA's support series will be present as well. I'll link a playlist in the description so you can learn all about them. The Roar Before the 24 test goes January 19th to 21st and features all four classes. The first race weekend of the season is the Rolex 24 at Daytona. It goes January 25th to 28th and features all four classes. The second round of the season is at Sebring from March 13th to 
16th and also features all four classes. The third round of the season takes us on a mini West Coast swing, April 19th and 20th to Long Beach, where only the GTP class and GTD classes will be present. Then they head to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, May 10th to 12th, where GTP, GTD Pro, and GTD will be racing. Round 5 sees the series go to Detroit, May 31st to June 1st. Only the GTP and GTD Pro classes will be present. IMSA then heads to Watkins Glen for the six hours of the Glen, June 20th to 23rd. All four classes will be present for that one. Then things go north of the border to Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, July 12th to 14th, where the LMP2 class will be the headliner, along with the GTD Pro class and GTD. Road America is up next August 2nd to 4th, where all four classes will be present. The series then heads to Virginia International Raceway August 23rd to 24th for a GT-only round, featuring GTD Pro and GTD. The newest Michelin Endurance Cup round is up next at Indianapolis Motor Speedway September 20th to 22nd, where all four classes will be present. And the calendar wraps up at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta October 9th and 12th for all four classes for the season-ending Motul Petit Le Mans. That is going to wrap up this episode, though. Hopefully you've learned a lot about IMSA. Before you go, though, make sure that you are subscribed on your favorite podcasting app so that you never miss an episode. You can also follow along with the show on X, or you can check out the video version of the show on YouTube. Just search for Off in the Asses. Also, a huge shout out to the Patreon supporters. If you too want to support the show, then you can head to patreon.com slash off in the S's. Once again, though, thanks for tuning in. I hope everyone has a great race weekend. It doesn't go off in the S's. <laughs>